Welcome everyone to Free Association here on Unsafe Space. My name is Carter Laren. This is a series in which we speak to interesting people about a variety of topics. Uh, in fact, we just last Friday released an interview with Scott Horton about his latest book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. So go check that out. Also, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, maybe even uh, support the channel. Do all the, you know, basically just do all the things that make you a good person. Um, today, I've got the pleasure of speaking with Jeremy Kaufman. Jeremy is the CEO of Library, which many of you might not realize is the protocol underneath Odyssey, where we have uh, all of our videos. Um, so he's the CEO of Library. He's a board member of the Free State Project. And most recently, he's a libertarian candidate for the United States Senate for New Hampshire. You can go to jeremy4nh.com to find info about his candidacy, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Kaufman. Jeremy, welcome. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm glad to have you back. We spoke to you last time about library. I didn't expect to be talking to you as a politician, but here we are. I, I It shows how far I've fallen, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't expect to be a politician. I don't like politicians. Uh, I don't really want to be one. But I was approached by the Libertarian Party of, of New Hampshire to run. And I, I thought we uh, I thought it was a chance to have some fun and, and make a difference. And so I said yes, after some serious consideration. And I think uh, I think we've been doing that. Um, you know, I was I was uh, I, I'm a very committed libertarian. That's why I live in New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. And I was um, a little disappointed by some of the libertarian messaging that was coming out in 2020, 2021. And, you know, this is a chance to kind of a, there's a chance for me to kind of put my money where my mouth is and say, well, this is, you know, this is kind of what I would like to see is, is more stuff in, you know, in this direction. I'm going to jump ahead to a question. I literally have this question written down. WTF with Joe Jorgensen. So <laughs> Well, I wasn't involved in that. I wasn't involved in that. You know, I think it, what I would, you know, the, the, here's the thing that the Libertarian Party, I think, misses, actually, as a startup guy, you'll get this, and I imagine your audience understands startup stuff pretty well, which is that, like, your your marginal customer at, the, at, at when you've achieved success, which is what the Democrat and Republican parties have achieved, they're not your early adopter. Your early adopter customer is a lot different than your customer at at sort of um, at scale or at density, right? And right now, yep. libertarians need early adopters. They need people who are going to be willing to say, I want to be with the guys who are at 2% rather than the guys who are at 48 49%. And yep. a lot of people in the Libertarian Party, I think, have this attitude that we need to be copying from the Republican and Democratic Party. We need to be uh, we need to behave like they behave. We, we want to copy our competitors because that's how they achieve such success. And I think that's not the case. I think that's how you start to, to do it. Let me, sorry, let me turn this on my phone off here. Um, you know, I think that, um, that uh, you, when you're at 30% or something like that, you start doing it uh, that way. But when you're at 2%, you've got to say, how do I appeal to the people who are going to get me from two to five? And, and yeah. those aren't the kinds of people who are, um, who are going to get you from 40 to 50. They're different types of people. To put it in the nomenclature you introduced it in, they're, they're trying to cross the chasm before they've got their critical mass of early adopters, right? Which is backwards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And crossing the chasm is hard enough. Uh, so 
doing it early is never going to work. Um, well, look, I think maybe I did want to start with this. I want to I want to really give people an understanding of of your motivation to do this. And I think you have a political ad which really captures it. So I just want to I want to play this so people can really understand why you want to be a senator. You ready? Yeah. They say to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And I want to become a lizard person. I would like to rule you. I'd like to lie to your face and then do something else because it benefits me. I would like to be as corrupt as possible. I would like to enrich myself and then tell you it's for your own benefit. I'm Jeremy Kaufman and I'm running for US Senate. Well, sir, uh, I appreciate the honesty. That's um, right. Yeah. I got to say this. I have a few immediate questions after watching this ad. First of all, as a lizard person, will you be advocating that we all eat bugs? Oh, absolutely. It's part of my grand economic uh, plan uh, to crush mm-hmm. the economy. And uh, But I've been buying up bug stocks uh, for, for years in preparation. Good, good. Um, now, will you uh, finish? Will you? Will you? Um, will you procure for the other fine people of New Hampshire a steady supply of adrenochrome? Uh, yes, a- absolutely. But of course, the best—the uh, best adrenochrome I'm going to reserve for my family and friends. Oh, okay, that's that's fair. So the youngest, most nubile children. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, how do we know? I, you know, I know this is an out there question, but how do we know? Th- that you're not just a human in a lizard person suit. Mm. You know, you're just gonna have to. You're gonna have to trust me. Um, so it's uh, unfortunate. So you may find out I'm actually a human and be disappointed. Oh, that's. I hope not. I hope not. I'm gonna trust you that you are actually a lizard person, and uh, we'll go with that. So, look, I think when we watch this campaign ad, um, I think a lot of people were shocked that you do. This kind of stuff. There's another one we'll play later, but um, can you tell me the strategy behind how, as a smaller party, how you're trying to reach out to voters and what you're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. So you're 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 trying to build a coalition. You're trying to build something that people want to associate with. And if you look at how, I mean, generally, uh, any time that there's been um, a, a big, uh, you know, third party. Uh, type thing, um, you know, humor is almost always a part of it. Um, being subversive in some way is uh, a part of it. It's a way of um, getting people to listen to things that they might not listen to uh, otherwise. It's an attempt. Um, it's an opportunity to kind of, um, you know, sort of poke holes in uh, in what people uh, may uh, believe or, or what people may have been doing in a way that doesn't get up those sort of ego defense uh, mechanisms. It's a big part of what, what humor can do. Uh, because people get defensive. If, the, if people have to recognize that they've made poor choices in the past, 
um, it's much harder for that person to, um, you know, to, to kind of change those things. And so if they have a chance to kind of laugh at it, that's, um, you know, that's another way that you can do it. Um, I'm not trying to be a joke candidate. And I, and so I want to be clear about that as well. Like I'm happy and interested in having substantive conversations, you know, and I can go deep on policy and economics and, and all, all, and all kinds of things. So the goal is not to be a, a joke candidate. The goal is to do both. Okay. Because, um, I can get, you know, hundred thousand, several hundred thousand views on a, on a viral, uh, video. I had one, uh, video suggest on TikTok suggesting that, uh, we should, um, give Putin the state of Massachusetts, uh, as an appeasement <laughs> strategy, um, uh, that got, uh, it has over a million views on TikTok. And, um, there's just no way to get that kind of impact with a serious video. I think it's, I think it's impossible. Right. Um, but if I can build a brand of someone who is interesting and engaging, and then I can mix that stuff in. I'm not going to be running a Vermin Supreme campaign where it's only jokes. I'm going to be doing jokes, but I'm I will uh, be very serious um, and substantive when the you know when the time comes for it. So, what's the reception been like? I mean, are are you getting attention enough with some of these ads that you're getting real interviews with 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 media to talk about issues, or is it too early in the campaign, or what? Uh, just a couple of local papers so far, but I do think it's I do think it's a bit early. And and something that I am committed to doing is like I'm not going to let them ignore me. Uh, and this is another thing that I think that the Libertarian Party, um, you know, kind of made a, a a mistake is is you know they're kind of like begging to be taken seriously. And I think that there's a strategy that you can pursue where you're saying that you know you. You're, you can't ignore this. You're not going to, you know, right. you, you're not going to be allowed to ignore this. Uh, and I, and I would like to see, um, you know, more in that, in that direction. Now, what's your goal? I mean, are you, I know your goal is not just to be a vermin supreme, but um, are you running in order to try and get publicity or do you like actually intend to win? I, there's never been a libertarian candidate or a libertarian Senator. There's only one Congressman in the history of the U S who Justin Amash recently. Yeah. Um, it, what's the goal here? Uh, the the goal is to uh, so certainly uh, winning would be fantastic, and I don't think it's impossible that I win. Um, but but you can win without outright winning the race. Um, the more that we can spread the libertarian message, particularly in the state of New Hampshire, that's a win. Uh, you know, the more that we can activate people and and find people inside of the state uh, who share libertarian values, who aren't part of the libertarian community here in some way, if we can get those people uh, engaged, you know, there's benefits to that. If we can um, cause moments at a national level, if we can cause, uh, you know, generate stories, uh, you know, this kinds of thing, um, there's, there's benefits, um, there's benefits to that. So I think there's lots of ways that, that we can affect positive change without outright uh, winning the race. I mean, and as a free stater, I mean, my most fundamental view is like, you know, I think libertarians aren't going to be able to win without physically concentrating. I, I do not think libertarians should be um, should be fighting to make the entire country uh, libertarian because so many people aren't uh, and never right. will be. Uh, and so, um, you know, that's certainly another way my campaign can win is to be continuing to spread awareness about New Hampshire. Before we get into substantive issues, which I do want to talk about, um, I want to get into the the political demographics of New Hampshire a little bit. My understanding is that the last two senators are Democrat, but there's there was a slew of Republicans before that. Um, 
I think the likely front runner is Kevin Smith or Don Balduck. I'm not sure from the Republican Party. And then you'll be running against Maggie Hassan. Now, I looked up the FEC data. She has $16 million in receipts and $7.6 million cash on hand. Kevin has 409000 in receipts and 312000 in cash on hand. You have about 12000 in receipts and you've spent almost zero. So you still have about 12000 cash on hand or at least a rounding error with, with as far as they're concerned. How do you plan to compete against that? And what's, what's the demographic of New Hampshire look like right now politically? Yeah, well, so again, like I think there there is no, you, you can't, you can pay uh, to for ads and make sure that uh, uh, people see you, um, but that is not sufficient to get people to vote for you. There was a candidate uh, who ran for um, the Democratic primary uh, to be president in in 2020. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, he was the billionaire guy. Uh, maybe his name was Tom. Oh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Bloomberg, was it? Was not it not not Bloomberg. Um, I mean, there when and it shows you how effective his strategy was. When yeah, during during the yeah. primary season, you could not go on to Facebook in New Hampshire without seeing his ad. Like literally you just uh, froze, Jeremy. You were talking about uh, you're talking about a candidate who spent a bunch of money that you said whenever you went on Facebook in New Hampshire, you couldn't not see his ads. That's right. I mean, every ad was was this guy, and he got something like one percent in the primary. He did the same thing in South Carolina. He got a couple percent in the primary. And so I'm not saying that ads aren't a part of it, but they're they're clearly not sufficient. And what you and on the other hand you can put out a video and I'm not saying the videos that I put out this far are perfect, but you can put out some of the videos that I put out. We've spent $0 on ads and have gotten several hundred thousand people to see them. As I said, I did the video on TikTok, got a million views. And there are several other videos I've done on TikTok with views in the hundreds of thousands. And I'm not saying this is sufficient to win, but you can compare those kinds of things, right? And, and when people are sharing it organically, they're saying, hey, I like this, right? They're not, they're not being forced to see it. And so I think there are approaches here um, that, that can make a difference, uh, you know, uh, without spending the money. I think the bigger thing is that there are a lot of people um, who are are completely in the I go in and vote R and I go or I go in and vote D and how you break through to those people and get them to actually consider switching the party they vote for. I think that's the bigger challenge than getting people to see you or to know that you exist. Yeah, that makes sense. And has has the federal government's response to COVID in and other state governments response in the last two years? Has, do you think it's changed attitudes of voters in New Hampshire? How has New Hampshire's what's the climate been like that? Yeah, I um, wish the election was happening like a year ago when this stuff was fresher. In my view, you know, a lot of people basically have amnesia when it comes to politics. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I, I unfortunately, I'm a little bit worried that not that many people will, uh, they won't be at, at, at the front of people's minds. It's going to be all about inflation and these and, and these other things. I mean, and you can look at in terms of, you know, amnesia, I mean, you can look at what's going on with Ukraine, where to me, I uh, uh, would only have a longer memory than most people. This feels to me like a playbook I've seen several times before. Uh, and everyone seems to be like, you know, lining up to kick the football again. Um, yep. And so it can be a little bit, it can be a little bit frustrating uh, because it really does feel like, uh, you know, you can only talk about 
what's been happening in the last you know couple of months um if you want people to be thinking about it yeah well maybe you need to make an ad uh about how many masks you'll require uh, <laughs> <laughs> for everyone i had <laughs> so. I, I i had a I had a tiktok video and this one did pretty well where it, the joke was like basically like if you wear a mask in your car i don't want you to vote for me like i don't want you to. <laughs> i don't i don't want support from morons so i'm explicitly asking you you know to not to not vote for me if you if you wear a mask in a car well all right let's let's talk about your platform a little bit um you know, I guess one of the main, one of the maybe big questions is, as a free stater, how important is, and is there anything you can do as a senator to move the free state agenda forward, and how integral is that into your platform? Yeah, look, the number one thing that moves the free state project forward is is uh, is is like brand building and advertising. There's still a lot of libertarians um, who don't know about it, who haven't taken that first visit to come and check it out, and so a lot of it's. Uh, you know, continuing to beat the drum. One senator, of course, can't pass legislation. So, you know, talking about all the things I'd like to do, I think is, you know, it's kind of a bit of a dream. Um, although I will, of course, you know, would do my best to support, you know, Massey and Rand Paul and the kinds of people who are actually uh, doing some good things in Congress. Um, but I think that one person can, can make noise, can create moments, you know, and can do things that, create attention, hopefully in a good way, right? Like I can go, I can 3D print a gun in Congress and, uh, you know, and, and, and see what happens, you know, because I'm pretty sure you can get those <laughs> materials through the, uh, you know, past the scanner, right? So, uh, That's an excellent. Know, just on the yeah. floor on C-SPAN? Yeah. I'll, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can be, you know, I, there, I don't believe that anyone has publicly smoked a joint inside of the halls of Congress. Right. So I can be that guy and bring attention to these kinds of issues. Right. And, um, and as I said, you know, backing it up with substantive policy uh, positions, like, you know, the fact that like attempting to ban the printing of guns is as ludicrous as attempting to ban uh, books, you know, um, and the fact that like, um, you know, putting a plant in your body should be a basic, uh, you know, human right, and unless we're all owned by the state, um, you know, and so like, uh, yeah, I think there are ways that you can, um, that you can do this kind of thing, where you can force them to talk about you, where you can change the conversation. And you could look at what Rand Paul did, you know, even though I think he failed, and they're going to give the 40 billion to Ukraine anyway, like, at least he forced that to happen. Or, you know, if you look at, you know, Massey saying no, uh, to the to the stimulus funding during COVID, you know, he at least forces that stuff to happen. And and unfortunately, if you're a libertarian, I think that's about the best you can hope for. I don't, I wish I could be like, yeah, I will single handedly repeal, you know, um, uh, the welfare state, or or I'll, I will end every war, or, you know, these kinds of things that we all want to see happen. But unfortunately, it's it's a challenge for one person to do that. So I mean, given that. Uh constraint which you know is reasonable and everyone understands no one expects uh, you know even rand paul can't end the welfare state where he's he's been in for a while um what what are the the issues that are most important that is it things like gun control and like printing a 3d gun like what are the issues that you would want to bring the most attention to yeah well to some extent you've got to ride what's being talked about, right? So, um, uh, because, um, uh, and so ghost guns were recently an issue, so it's on my mind. I mean, my, I mean, my my biggest things, um, uh, you know, definitely everything that happened uh, during COVID was incredibly offensive to me. Um, the drug war is very offensive to me. 
from a matter of like principle because it is this much basic fundamental right um you know mm -hmm. like to not to not you know sort of own our own bodies it's, it feels very fundamentally uh you know violating to me even if i'm not interested in in the vast majority of them um uh and uh you know so things like that um i i guess personally for me like certainly um i, I my business has faced a lot of scrutiny from, um, you know, the SEC and that's been, uh, you know, that's been very annoying. So maybe I can get some, um, you know, revenge against some of the regulatory state. I think we, um, I, 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 I think, I mean, I guess libertarians get this. I mean, to me, there's so much more that entrepreneurs could be doing. There's, there's so much human creativity out there, ingenuity out there, that is is um you know basically held back by the state by the state's control of money um and so obviously actually certainly i should mention federal reserve uh and the state's yes. control of money is is got to be one of the most fundamental issues the most fundamental problems but it goes beyond that i mean the state um the state's control of the financial system the fact that we only have uh you know two credit card companies the fact that it's not possible to really start new banks um, I mean, these end up being a big encumbrance to the ability to to create and and do new things. And so I think there are all kinds of things, um, all kinds of potential that could be untapped uh, if if um, the state wasn't holding it back. I, it's sometimes harder to, uh, well, it's almost always harder to remove entrenched things than to maybe delay or prevent or modify uh, plans that haven't been rolled out yet. And when I think of that, uh, I immediately think of crypto and, you know, the Terra and Luna fiasco last week, you've got Janet Yellen now saying, oh, see, we need to regulate stable coins. And, and, and you, you mentioned, I think in the, on the previous show, like several different three letter agencies decided that they had responsibility over your company and regulatory yeah. power. Uh, what can you do? Um, like, do you think you could move the needle on the the regulation of crypto conversation? How does that concern you? Um, like, what's what's your what's your political strategy when it comes to crypto? Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I don't have a refined one yet, and we there's some more ads that are planned that are gonna um, you know come out, but we actually don't have one planned against crypto. Uh, plan have one planned for crypto yet, so I probably will um, have to come up with come up with one. So I don't have it. I don't have a killer. Um, I don't have a killer crypto uh, message. I mean, I would probably I, I mean, I would be tempted anyway, to sort of, you know, tie it to inflation. I mean, the dollar is the biggest shit coin out there, you know, that 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 whole idea. Um, I mean, so it's like, you know, it's not it's not as if there is some good product um, that the United States government has. I mean, the reason we need this competition is because the dollar is such a bad product. It's such a bad asset, you know, basically the, and I mean, and this is, I think this is substantially by design, but basically you never want to hold dollars. You need to get your dollars into something else. Um, you know, and I think particularly they want, uh, and I, I accept the rewards they give me for doing this to be clear, but like they, you know, I think they want your money in the, in the markets effectively. Right. That's a, that's a big part of it is you, you're very strongly encouraged to take your dollars um, and to put them into into the markets. Yeah, yeah, you are. So when when let's say I'm a New Hampshire voter, and I always pull the donkey lever, uh, and I'm looking at Maggie's name. What do you want me to be thinking about when it's like I see your name next to Maggie's name? I'm like, oh, oh, that's that Jeremy guy. 
Yeah. What's the what's the difference between you that you want in my mind as a New Hampshire voter? I mean, and I I mean, I think I would I would highlight that like Maggie is not delivering on any of the promises that she is uh, making to you. And what's tricky here is what a lot of the Democrats believe are the correct solutions. I would I would argue are incorrect. So I'd, I'd probably try to like elide the discussion of, of how we solve them. Uh, but <laughs> because it, but if you have those values, right? If you if you if you're if you're um, you know if you're on the left and your concern is is um, you know, maybe it's it's more egalitarian in nature, or you're concerned about the people who are. Um, uh, you know, sort of more, more, um, uh, you know, more downtrodden or, or economic injustice or, or whatever these things might be. Um, you know, the Democrats are not solving these things. Um, they, they, their solutions don't work. And in the case of Maggie, she doesn't even do, do the solutions. Maggie was like one of the two Democrats who refused to raise the minimum wage. Um, so, uh, I mean, so kudos to Maggie, of course, in my opinion. Um, um, uh, but like, uh, you know, I, and, and this is where I think, and I will say, I think libertarians struggle with this because a lot of the, a lot of libertarian stuff, a lot of why it's correct requires a level of abstraction that, and, and quite frankly, in my view is, 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 is beyond a lot of people, right? Like mm -hmm. to understand, um, why free markets work. I mean, maybe there's a communicator out there I haven't read, but I, I think it's it's a it's a lot of um it's a lot of abstraction and it's difficult for people to to understand why um uh you know why markets work and the government can't necessarily just put their put their thumb on the scale. So my solution would be to kind of just like not have that discussion and just kind of be like, well look, like you know, you've been trusting these people for a long time. They haven't delivered you know, I have a track record of of success, of building things, of solving problems. Even if you don't understand uh, all of my, uh, you know, solutions, maybe, uh, you know, uh, stop doing the same thing and expecting different results because you haven't been seeing results from the people that you've been supporting. Yeah, that, you know, it's you're bringing up a good point. And it's, you're reminding me of, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street was one of those times in which uh, I, I think the left saw a real problem like they saw a real issue and got upset about it and so emotionally i'm like 100 percent on board like yes you see a problem but then the solution was just it, it's like they 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 picked the solution out of a happy meal box and like i know we'll more regularly you know the problem's capitalism they misidentified the problem they misidentified what to do about it and i mean ultimately that that movement fell apart. Um, but I remember you had people like F Peter Schiff, who a great communicator out there with a microphone talking to people. And I don't, I don't know that it was that effective. I mean, sometimes you can tell them stuff they don't know, but you're right. It, there's a level of abstraction. That's just like, wait, I'm at a bankers. That means I'm at at capitalism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if you want affordable housing, which is a real problem, Right. Housing is way too expensive. It's artificially expensive. There's no reason for housing to be as expensive as it is. Like, how do you get someone to understand that, you know, actually the biggest thing holding these back is, you know, building restrictions and permitting and all of this stuff, um, you know, rather than we're not mandating that every new development, you know, have apartments uh, that can only be sold to, to people at, at some certain, you know, poverty level or whatever. Right. Right. That's very right. difficult to get people to, to understand. 
Um, you know, and similarly, and and I mean, and, and on this particular issue, like my answer would be to do nothing. But like, how, even if you if you consider uh, if you consider sort of um, you know climate change to be a substantial um, problem, I mean, there's very few people on the left who are interested in market oriented solutions. Solutions, right? Very, very unpopular, right? Which like, and so um, like the left effectively has a lot of what I would call anti-market bias, which, you know, it's, it has a lot of, it's very loaded against those things. And so even when markets could deliver outcomes that they ostensibly would want, um, they're very averse to them. And to be honest, I don't have a great answer to this. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, but seeing, I, I mean, I, but at least observing the phenomenon, I can at least go, well, you know, like maybe let's, let's not, have the conversation (laughs) well i mean look i I think with housing stuff i mean part of what you're describing is there's a tyranny of boredom right where they we're gonna we're gonna flood you with a a an a giant quagmire of bureaucracy and to do anything you're gonna have to wade through it and so every discussion that we have about it we're going to frame in but like rooted in this quagmire of rules and uh, it just makes people kind of say, well, that's, that's too complex to talk topic for me because I don't understand all the rules and it's hard for them to rise above that and go, actually, I understand, I understand all the rules from a philosophical perspective and they don't belong. So let's get rid of like, like you can, I actually, I don't need to understand them all in that sense. I need, I just need to understand what they do for, for the thick stuff like climate change. I'm curious what you think about this because I I recognize that may, there's a lot of people that are just, you know, their idea is they want clean water and clean air and they're worried about some, you know, they've been lied to in terms of hyperbole with respect to the catastrophic nature and how quickly things will, you know, it'll be a hell hellscape in 10 years or whatever, which we've heard over and over again my entire life. Uh, but the people at the top, I really, I don't believe that they actually care about climate change at all. Um, and I think they just want to use it as a scare tactic to gain more power. Uh, and am I the crazy conspiracy theorist or? No, I think, that's, I think that's all politics. Quite frankly, I think that same phenomenon is why they're interested in a bunch of regulations and rules around, you know, building or why. Honestly, it's the same. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why is why do Democrats favor uh, a minimum wage rather than transfer payments, right? Because it's a pretty straightforward economic argument to say, well, when we have a minimum wage, we are, uh, we now have a price uh, uh, floor, which by, you know, which by definition, Econ 101, we're leaving some people out of the market. You could attain the same outcome by having no uh, price regulations at all and simply perform transfer. And of course, again, I'm not for transfer payments, but you could, right. but it's like straightforward. Like, well, this is strictly better, but it's incredibly unpopular. And we see this phenomenon play out again and again, and again, in almost every domain, there are market oriented solutions to problems that the left ostensibly has that the left rejects in favor of less market oriented solutions. Um, yeah. and, why that is, I mean, we could probably talk about that question for a very long time. I mean, but I think you're completely, I think the phenomenon is completely real. Um, and I do think a big part of it is that um, that human beings are uh, are power and status seeking, at least certainly any any uh, human being that's, that's uh, 
you know, get, that's heavily involved in politics. Right. Any of the um, cold blooded people with lizard skin. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so you need to, and so, you know, well, you want to come up with reasons that you deserve more status and power that are, um, that are good for everyone. Right. And so that is why um, you see so much energy put towards solutions in this domain versus things that would solve the problem, but that wouldn't accrue power um, uh, uh, to the people selling them. Right. Which is this perpetual consolidation and centralization of power, which is the story of what we've seen in America since its founding. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and so again, here's another market oriented one. And this would be certainly one of the first things I would do. Right. So if you're talking about climate change, I mean, the first thing I would like to see is markets, prediction markets, futures markets uh, that would allow market properties to give more accurate predictions, allow people to put their money, you know, um, where their mouth is, uh, you know, around how bad these things actually are and, and, and to what degree, uh, you know, they would cost, you know, these, these kinds of questions. Well, you know why they don't do that because they're, they're, it wouldn't work out for them. I mean, you know, if climate change were a real thing, Obama wouldn't buy an eight million dollar house on Martha's Vineyard and get insurance for it. Like, I mean, not that it's not a real thing at all, but if it, if it were as catastrophic as as we we're told, uh, insurance companies wouldn't insure beachfront property. For example. yeah, absolutely, and that would be my position on climate change. It's 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 real, um, but a lot of the effects. Uh, could be mitigated, uh, and it's going to take it's it's going to happen over a very long time period, um, uh, you know. Regardless, um, so yeah, yeah, and and I think there's a there's a just on the climate change thing. I think there's a fundamental narrative shift that I would like to see, which is, uh, you know, the point of caring about the climate and caring about the environment is that it's where humans live and where you know. The, the the perspective should be about human thriving, not preservation of the status quo with respect to nature. And because nature has never been static, it will never be static. And frankly, more humans die of cold than heat. So a few degrees might affect the equator, but it might actually help humans in many other areas of the world. And we may yeah. more arable land and all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, agreed. Agreed 100%. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of of David Friedman's uh, work and thoughts in this area. Uh, Alex Epstein also does a good job. And he does. yeah, and uh, I mean, look, the, the truth is for Americans, for most of America, climate change is actually uh, arguably good uh, in the sense that uh, there's, um, I mean, there's a number of studies that, that attempt to estimate changes in, in, in productivity. Um, and they tend to say that climate change is, isn't isn't so bad for North America. Um, you know, climate change is bad for Northern Africa. It's very bad for India. You know, these are the countries who should um, um, be particularly concerned about it. Um, uh, Americans, I think, are mostly interested in, in in it for virtue signaling reasons. Yeah, yeah. So in New Hampshire, what are the top issues that like New Hampshire voters seem to care about? I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely inflation, um, in, inflation. inflation is, or just, yeah, which I would put gas and all that. That's all part of in, in inflation. Right. I mean, it's a, it's an inflation is, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a regressive tax. Uh, it takes money away from everyone. And also I think sort of the more you're at, I don't know what the right word for this would be. I, I but I basically, I think that if you're, if you're poorer, you tend to be at the, the end of this cascade of, of price changes, right? You're kind of getting yes. the raise last, 
you know. Right. You're not buying the bulk stuff. You're not buying this raw materials. You're not investing in the companies that are buying the raw materials. You're buying the end product, which is the very end of that chain. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I, I think that's that's got to be one of the biggest things. This next answer may be a projection and maybe what I want to be the answer. Maybe it's just because it's the biggest for me. But like, I mean, I think schools, um, I don't if there's a way to still get people to care about COVID, it's through the schools, through what happened with the schools, um, because yep. there were a lot of children that were um, that were hurt by the closures and also retroactively it's very easy to say all that really wasn't necessary you know your kids fine everyone's kid finally got covid it wasn't so bad you know so like you were kind of lied to a lot you hey do you remember that um and and uh you know getting that um uh you know getting changes to happen there i mean because schools are from from a libertarian perspective i mean they're the biggest problem um half over half of my state tax money goes to the schools, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so if, and so if I'm trying to shrink the state, um, uh, it's difficult to make much progress without without making some progress in that area. And we are making progress in that area in, in New Hampshire. We did just get a, a pretty solid school choice bill, but um, that is, um, I think that's got to be one of the you know one of the bigger issues. How is New Hampshire on things like homeschooling, and has has it seen an uptick since COVID, uh, like other states? Uh, it has, uh, as well as with the new. Um, school choice bill, which makes it even easier uh, to homeschool. So you can now get, um, I think it's like five to $6,000 a student. You can use it however you like. Um, you can buy like private materials. There's not like some approved list. It's like you can do basically anything um, uh, with that money. Um, and uh, there's a number of, of institutions um, um, that ha- offer all these ad hoc classes. A lot of them are run by free staters or free staters have been involved in, uh, in the creation, uh, of those and homeschooling was already pretty good in New Hampshire, but there's also a new bill this year, uh, to improve the situation, uh, even more, um, uh, to make it easier for homeschooled kids to participate partially in, 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 um, the government schools to the extent that they want to, like making sure that they uh, like can always play on the sports team. You know, maybe you want your kid, you know, these kinds of things that you can't necessarily right. do um, as a, uh, as an at home and um, further loosening the regulations around it, which were pretty loose. You don't, I don't believe, I think you just fill out a form. Uh, my kids aren't old enough yet. Um, I'm still kind of figuring out um, what I want to, what I want to do. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of non-traditional schooling 100%, but I also appreciate, you know, expertise um and right. and scale you know and these kinds of things so i think we'll go a non-traditional route but we're, we're likely to to use some of the other institutions that are here sure and and what's your you know another if you're going to talk start talking about schools and parent dissatisfaction something that's been in the news a lot lately is um especially down in florida but even now elsewhere parents upset about um you know, the, uh, what was it? The quote, don't say gay bill and, uh, you know, what's grooming Grooming, and yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Um, and that's one where, uh, you know, cause I, to me, grooming, it's clear that grooming is like, it's an effective word, right? People, you, people, people respond to that word. People don't like it. It's, um, and so, there's a part of me that's like, well, like, look, man, look at the way that like the left used the word racist and used some of these words in ways that, were, in my view, were complete lies, but that were politically effective. 
And so maybe grooming will be that word for people on the right in terms of the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, I'm I, obviously there's some amount of it, you, you know, um, as to how much of it is there versus how much of it there was before, you know, I, I'm not personally convinced it's, it's an epidemic, but that doesn't mean that you can't use it. You know, you can't, can't talk about it, um, regardless. And there's clearly some amount of it. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't suggest that there's like none of it. Um, but it's you know, just exposed on TikTok now is what you like. Yeah. Right. It wasn't right. in the past. Yeah. I mean, but this is where it's like, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know why there's part of me that doesn't really have a good theory as to why school choice isn't more popular. Um, I mean, and then I guess it relatively is there's like polling that says it's, you know, 60, 70% popular, but this, I mean, to me as a parent, like I'm the customer. Right. Um, and so it's like, why would a parent not want to have more choice in where they go? Why would a parent not want to have more insight into, you know, what's going on, uh, in the schools? It just seems like a complete win. Like, you know, what's the, yeah. it seems like it has like no downside. You know, well, I mean, it's, you know, if you're if you're on the left and you're a typical Karen control freak, uh, they don't want you to be able to choose a school with your other libertarian friends and end up with de facto segregation of some of some kind of segregation that they don't like. Um, so, you know, I assume that's where it's coming from. And and also just. There seems to be an attitude lately that's becoming more on the surface and visible, which is this view that the state owns your children. I mean, California's got this thing now called cradle to career. Um, and you're seeing more and more, even at the federal level, talk about, uh, you know, first they say we need better kindergarten and they say we need better pre-K. The government needs to be involved. And then we need then we need better, you know, daycare. And pretty soon it's going to be like, well. You know, what about the lady who gives birth and needs to go to work in the next five minutes? Shouldn't the government take care of me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. That's I mean, I think that's spot on. You're absolutely right. And of course, uh, and at the other end. Right. We need um, we need paid college. Right. High school. We need right. uh, we need yes. four more years. Uh, high, high school. What if they're just not sure what they want to do yet? Shouldn't we yeah. pay for that gap year? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And this is another one where like. I don't know. I, and then I'm different from some other libertarians here. And like, dude, I don't want to fight these people. Like, I just want to let them have it. Like, just give me, right. and that's why I'm, I mean, I just want any, any space, uh, you know, where this insanity uh, doesn't apply, uh, you know, and I, I would, I would go there. And that's why I think the best hope is like, you know, the whole world is, is settled basically, you know, and that's the problem is in the past, there was sort of more an ability for people to exit, at least theoretically. You know, and now, um, you know, exits, exits kind of dead as a as a phenomenon. Right. Um, and I think that's the biggest missing thing. And that's why I think like, well, you know, people who do um, you know, share our values, like how can we be building something up that's new rather than um, trying to fight these persuasion battles, which we've really seen the results of. And, yeah, I'd like to th I'd like to think I can do a better job. I'd like to think I can make a difference. But at the end of the day, like I don't, I don't hold much hope of like persuading the majority of Americans to go in a more libertarian uh, direction. 
Um, and plus it's so far, right? Like I also, I like playing to win, right? And so this idea of like, oh, we're a little bit more libertarian because to me it's like, I want to be so much more libertarian, right? Like I don't want to, I don't want to be just a little bit more libertarian. I want to, I want the whole thing. Like I want to win. And, and so it's like, how does that happen? Um, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to happen by, by sort of, um, playing the game the same way and, and attempting to do the same things that, that have been tried for decades. Well, I mean, with respect to the Free State Project, um, which I like, and uh, I, I will admit that I voted for Wyoming back in the day when they had the that's fine the, the election. But um, uh, but New Hampshire's beautiful. Uh, isn't there still going to have to be some level of of convincing the rest of America to not bomb New Hampshire when and if it actually secedes, like? What will hold the Hawks back? Obviously, nukes. Uh, so we need to get our nuclear program going right away. Uh, the uh, I, I'm I'm somewhat. I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm for like asking that uh, question, and I certainly think that we would see a lot of fear mongering among stuff like that. I mean, I'm not convinced it needs to be full secession. I certainly would support full New Hampshire independence, but like um, uh, Jeff Deist gave a great talk at the last Liberty Forum talking about soft secession. Uh, and this is definitely like what I would pursue first. Um, you know, this sort of like Amish style success um, where, you know, Amish are the most successful anarchists, most successful libertarian movement mm -hmm. in America. So if there's someone we should be cribbing from, it's them. Amish don't pay social security. Uh, the Amish do not have to register for the draft. OK, um, and they did this by forming together and basically saying, no, screw you. We're not going to <laughs> they negotiated and they, with this. They, with the, they yeah, successfully okay. negotiated with the state and the state does have this sort of like sour grapes aspect of like what it wants, of, of how it controls things like the state wants to control everything. But if it can't control something, it never wanted to. Right. Uh, and I see. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and, a and, child or yes. whatever. I, yeah, no, I didn't want that anyway. Yes, yeah. exactly. This is because, because for the state to want to control something and not be able to control it is, is to be a demonstration of the state's weakness, which is the one thing the state has to not want more than anything else. And so, you know, and the other examples, you know, uh, uh, marijuana independence, um, sanctuary cities, right. We have examples of, of states and cities openly defying the federal government uh, and the mm -hmm. federal government not making an attempt to, to control them. Um, and so I think they know we, they would lose maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I think what you do is you, you play the game this way. Um, you don't, you're not looking to play brinksmanship. You're, you're looking to what's the um, you're looking to salami slice, right? You're looking to, to, to do thin, 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 so that there's never one moment that justifies the especially strong response. Um, I see. It's not worth going to war if they're just opting out of Social Security. That's not a big deal. We can, right? like, yeah, exactly. It's not going to worth going to war if they're just ending the war on drugs in their state. Okay, like, like it just. Exactly. All right. Yeah, it's the it's the boiling the frog thing, which is how we got into the mess that we're in now. The in the other direction. Um, yep. So yeah, and so that's cooling that's, down. That's the best the best course of uh, the best course of action. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I do want to, uh, 
I do want to talk about your stance on on war. We can talk about your Ukraine if you want. Um, so, uh, but maybe is now a good time to play your yeah, let's, let's other play ad. Yeah. yeah, let's play it. <laughs> All yeah. right, let's uh, let's take a look at Jeremy Kaufman, candidate for U.S. Senate. Uh, one of it's I guess a month ago you released this ad or so. For those listening, uh, the words on the screen say "War is gay." Picture this, innocent people in the Middle East, they're having dinner. A bomb is dropped on their house and they're all killed. What's the problem with this? It's being done by white men. I am Jeremy Kaufman, the chief diversity officer at Halliburton and candidate for United States Senate. It is time to diversify the murderous military-industrial complex. We need to make the nukes gay. And that's why I'm running for office. Like my fellow Democrats and Republicans, I will support every war. I will support stealing billions of dollars from Americans to kill innocent people. But we are going to make it so gay. It will go down in the history books. We will say never have so many genders and so many races killed innocent people. Let's bomb Yemen. But let's make sure a rainbow of skin colors are dropping those bombs. These are gonna be the gayest, transest murders the United States has ever performed. That's what I stand for as the Chief Diversity Officer at Halliburton. And that's what I'll do once elected to the United States Senate. I'm Jeremy Kaufman, and I'm gay for this message. I'm serious. I'm a little sad I haven't gotten a cease and desist from Halliburton yet, but... <laughs> well, I mean, one of the questions I have is, should we be concerned that your position as Chief Diversity Officer of Halliburton is a conflict of interest when it comes to implementing your, your gay military agenda? Oh, it's openly. I mean, it's a big part of why I'm right. I mean, just like I said in the first ad, I mean, I, I've got so many military stocks, man. So many. I've just been loading <laughs> up, getting ready, because we're going to fight a lot of wars, um, you know, when I get elected. Um <laughs> So yeah, I mean, similar similar to the first one, uh, you know, trying to make a trying to make a point through uh, comedy, uh, maybe some way of getting you know um, some of the left to wake up that they are being taken advantage of, um, because uh, it's clear that uh, these these people uh, who are behind a lot of this stuff they'll adopt whatever language necessary to be allowed to continue to do their business, and so that's why you see them going woke not out of any genuine concern but because they think right. that by going woke they'll um they'll get to continue to, to do exactly what the ad said um, yeah and, yeah so i mean look i think the message does resonate with people on the left i mean they've they've been pretty vocal about heteronormative drone strikes and cisgendered yeah. cluster bombs and stuff i guess but what about the people on the right i mean uh how you'll assure them that you're gonna you know when you include all the colors of the rainbow how do you ensure that they'll you know you'll you'll keep uh yeah, you know, the efficiency up of arming 
terrorists and and uh, you know riddling foreign lands with depleted uranium. Well, I think this has been a good thing. I mean, the two areas where libertarians and the mainstream right tended to diverge the most would be the military and the cops, right? Mm -hmm. And we saw um, more of the right turn against cops uh, during COVID than than I've ever seen in my uh, lifetime. And now we're seeing um, the military, which you know has for a long time been something like a welfare program that's a little bit more right slanted than the rest of them. Um, yes. You know, being um, uh, you know being sort of co opted uh, by this identity politics stuff um, that I would hope uh, you know turns uh, turns more the right against uh, the military, and and certainly at least in our current moment, while. Um, both the left and the right are supporting war. There is at least this ten to twenty percent of the right that is not. Um, yeah, and so it is good that at least it's not completely unanimous um, uh, to to just be doing more of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I've also seen the right turn more against uh, three letter agencies a lot more. Like, there's a lot more. Speaking of rainbow colors, there's a lot more discussion of color revolutions in the CIA's involvement and and the kind of um, mismanagement and or intentionally uh, contradictory and uh, inflammatory behavior of uh, of the CIA around the world. And then the FBI, you saw, you know, pe people on the right who I think in the past would have been rah-rah FBI. They're a good people and they they're just trying to, you know, catch the serial murderers. You know, you see them get caught now in the Governor Whitner plot and a bunch of other stuff and, and people on the right saying, wait a minute, you're the bad and the Trump Russia thing. Wait a minute. You're the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the question is like, will this stuff stick or will that amnesia set in and will people just go back to their sort of default stances of, you know, go cops, um, you know, uh, and of course some, you know, I'm not, I'm not like wholly anti-cop. I mean, there is, there's some space for that uh, in, in society, but they're, they're, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, way more than necessary. They're over-militarized. There's, uh, um, and they're, you know, they're, they're going around enforcing a bunch of, of very unjust laws. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, when it comes to both the military and the cops, I think people have a, uh, well, with the cops, they have like an Andy Griffith view of it. Like, well, they're just trying to do a good job and stop rapes and murders and thefts. And and I think most rational, you know, most normal people are like, well, yeah, I don't want rapes, murders and thefts. And and those seem bad. And I wouldn't want to have to be the guy to go get in a shootout with a, a guy who's holding someone hostage. And like, that's a dangerous job. And yeah. and, uh, you know, there's respect there. But that's that's a very small percentage of what cops actually do. Right. And yes, it's a small percentage of what they do. Uh, and additionally, it's not as dangerous as it's made out to be. Uh, it's being a, a cop is less dangerous than being a pizza delivery driver. Uh, it's less dangerous than being a logger, you know, um, and uh, not it's not I think it's like generally it's like fifth, it's not not dangerous. It's like 15th, 20th, sure. you know, something like this. But we're, but you ask a lot of people, what's the most dangerous job? It's a cop. And, uh, and that's just the evidence doesn't bear that out if you if you look at um, the rates of people who lose their lives uh, doing the job. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would like to see, and this, I mean, I would like to see all of these. Any, you know, there's so many, 
the reason we tend to glamorize these professions is is actually because it's a subsidy, right? That's why we glamorize the military and we glamorize the cops and we glamorize teachers is uh, that's a way of us. We want more people to do those uh, jobs and we're trying to basically send the signal that you'll have more status um, in society for doing this kind of thing. Mm. But I think that um, we're, we're effectively giving these status subsidies uh, to, to positions that, that, don't, that don't need them. I don't. I do not think teachers or cops, um, or or even the military. I mean, I think the military needs a status subsidy when there's a real reason to actually fight a war. I do believe yeah. that could be a selfless thing to do. That happens naturally. Yeah. I mean, if there's yeah. invaders, yeah. I mean, you don't have to say anything. People already honor the person willing to go fight the invaders, right? Right. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, we gotta uh, we gotta cut this stuff out. And so, I mean, we that mean that does mean that you you're what you're trying to do though there to do that is you're you're trying to effectively tear down the status of these people um you would you yeah. would want to use humor uh and that kind of thing to make uh to get people to laugh at them and to feel less uh like that these people are in sort of um uh especially important uh position yeah i mean i've found the military stuff to be harder uh than the police like the the there's been more reception on the right, this in my experience, from you know pointing out federal police like FBI problems and and even local police like hey these are the ones that are going to come uh, take your guns <laughs> right like yeah. that's what these people are and a lot of the the ones who are there for better reasons are retiring and this new crop of cops are you know they they'll just obey whatever authoritarian but. Military, I have a very hard time with it because it, people feel like I'm attacking that, you know, there's this view of the military that, you know, uh, it's it's this altruistic, sacrificial, beautiful thing to defend our freedoms. And it is very dangerous. And how dare you? What kind of a slime ball are you to impugn the fine uh, job that the men and women in the military do keeping us safe? I mean, that's the that's the narrative that it's a very hard I find it very hard to break through that narrative. Um, I don't know if you've had, had the same experience or not. Yeah. I mean, keeping us safe from who, <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the largest threats to American values of, of, of independence, of freedom, of, of all of the things that, that a lot of these people who love the military would profess uh, to support the biggest threats to those things have been coming from our own government. It's our own yeah. government that has been threatening these things. Okay. It's our own government that did everything that happened um, during COVID. It's our own government that did that, you know? Uh, and, and so um, I think like, you know, this notion that there's some country out there that's going to do something to us. I mean, I, I think it's mostly ridiculous. And I think if it ever did happen, uh, you know, as you said, there would be um, there would be a lot of people who would be very willing, um, uh, you know, to, to mobilize uh, to defend. I'll defend my I, my stance is I'll defend New Hampshire, but not America, by the way. So, uh. <laughs> Fair enough. you know where your borders are. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think there needs to be a path for I. And I don't know what this path is, but I think there needs to be a psychological path for people who were literally in the military to come to terms with you were duped. You thought this was an honorable thing to do. And I get why you thought it was an honorable thing to do. And I'm not blaming you for that motivation, but 
it turns out you weren't actually helping and you might have been better if you mobilized in DC. Yeah. Well, honestly, truthfully, from a persuasion perspective, rather than a perhaps factually correctness perspective, the better argument is to be like things changed. The in two, mm. you know, in twenty eighteen, you know, the military used to be that way, but it's not anymore. And then they don't have to confront uh, the fact that that's they made a, made a mistake in their past. So that's a, that's a huge. Look at you! You've been a politician for like five minutes. You got rhetoric, <laughs> <laughs> rhetoric instead of uh, uh, any sort of uh, rationale rational yeah. uh, arguments here. Well, I've been selling stuff for a long time. And one of the, one of the tough thing, one of the things you run into and saying, and I've sold software, so not, not political ideas, but like one of the big things uh, I learned very quickly when selling software was like anything, any, any sale that would in somehow uh, inv effectively involve someone in the organization imp explicitly or, or even just implicitly basically acknowledging that they made a mistake, that, that, that some <laughs> past choice they had made was wrong is a disaster you're never going to make the you know you're never going to make yeah. the sale that way so it's it's you were much better being you know uh that that solution that you had previously uh, i used to be really good didn't it you know uh yeah. rather made, than, what a great <laughs> choice it was when you made it but now <laughs> yeah. yeah right uh so so that's a tough one and that's also why you know and actually that 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 relates to the school choice to the school choice stuff too because it's the same kind of thing a parent does not want to have to face up to the idea that they were doing something suboptimal for their children. That's a terrible mm. persuasion tactic to try to get a parent to recognize that they did, that they were making this bad choice for their, for their kids. Um, and so you're going to face a real uphill battle persuasionally when you're trying to get someone to acknowledge something like that. Yeah. That's good advice. And I think it, it, you're, it probably applies to everything that we're talking about. So yeah. Um, even the war on drugs, it used to be a great idea, but <laughs> yeah. that one, I don't think people have as much attachment to in, no. in the same way. Yeah. 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 I, and, and yeah, I, I almost, I almost wonder if it could be tied to, I, I don't know if their hatred of big pharma, which is growing, I think at, at least among the right people. I mean, actually, people on the left who used to hate big pharma are now getting Pfizer tattoos. So uh, there's definitely there's definitely some uh, movement the other direction. But I, I think people on the right who are starting to hate big pharma more. Um, I, I'm hoping that it will help really uh, be the impetus to ask serious questions about: Are you allowed to do what you want with your body and put whatever in your body you want? And who's in charge of that? And what are the rules for that? And why do we have prescriptions and why do we have drugs that are illegal and why is Pfizer, why do they, why are they immune from lawsuits for liability and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, truth is, I think a lot of our political preferences aren't, and of course, as libertarians, I want to believe as thoughtful libertarians, I want to believe that you and I are above what I'm about to describe, but I could, I could argue that we're not, but I think a lot of it is, uh, is, um, ways that, you know, lift our group up in status and lower the groups that we don't like in status. And if, so if you want to, if you, you know, the very simple explanation for why a lefty person who used to be against big pharma was all of a sudden for big pharma during COVID is very simple, which is that the people who they like the least, um, who, which they would say are far right social conservatives, those people were against the vaccine. So there's a very good reason to be for it, which is that the people that you like the least will be lowered <laughs> in 
in status. Um, and so yep. like, you know, th this sort of more, and I, I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm never suggesting, or at least in the vast majority of the time, this is not some sort of explicit calculation where people are like sociopathically sitting there being like, well, now if I'm pro big pharma, the people I don't like will be hurt. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's what's happening, but I think that this is, it's, it's human nature. We have all these unconscious motivations and, um, you know, and biases that cause us to adopt our, our positions. And I think this is actually what drives uh, a lot of politics. Most people do not have a political philosophy. They adopt positions in an ad hoc basis that benefit them and the groups that they like or think they will and that hurt the groups that they don't like. Yeah. And it's, it is very, I mean, it's fundamentally just very tribal, right? Yeah. Um, which, uh, which is the fundamental problem with democracy. Uh, but I won't ask you to yell about democracy. Well, I don't know if you if I'm you're running for senator, openly, you can't say I'm, anything bad about democracy. I'm, no, I'm very openly, I'm very openly against. I'm working on how to get this one done with the uh, right <laughs> amount of humor. But you know, I want to I want to tell people to their face. I'm be like, no, actually, I don't. I don't think you should be able to vote for me. I think you should have yeah. no say in monetary policy whatsoever. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and there are ways of trying to get people to come around to this position. I mean, you can ask people like, do you think your your workplace would be better if it was run democratically? Do you think McDonald's would be a better restaurant if, in order to change the menu? The, the customers had to they vote, voted. you know, um, there are, there are people who do think their workplace would be better democratically, but a lot of people say no, a lot, you know, a lot of people recognize the, the power of expertise. A lot of people recognize that people have differing ability and they do recognize that. Yeah, actually the people who are running this thing probably could do a better job of running it than, than I do. Most, most people, at least at a large company, aren't sitting there going like, well, I could be a better CEO. You know, most they might not love their CEO. I'm not. I'm not saying that. They, you know, but most people do at least recognize that there's that there's some 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 differing abilities there, and um and so I, I yeah I do think there's some um some some potential, but it's another hard one. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is a hard one, and uh, I mean, look, if if uh, I don't know why it doesn't work. I've tried this, but it doesn't seem to work. Just pointing out, like, you know the majority could just vote to bring slavery back for a group they don't like, right? Is that, is that okay? I'm like, yeah. wow. It's, you know, that's, but that's what democracy is, right? I mean, with no rails, that's not, I, my, my, the how I've gotten the argument against democracy to resonate the most is by, and it's only with people on the right is by pointing out the founding fathers hated democracy. They were afraid of democracy. They explicitly tried to create a system to prevent democracy. Like, that that should be your starting point if you're on the right. I think to, to maybe think about this. I don't know. Yeah. I, what yeah. final what what other what other messages do you have before we wrap up the show? Um, what final messages do you have for people who are in New Hampshire who could vote, and even people outside of New Hampshire uh, who might get to see you on C-SPAN 3D printed gun? Well, if you're in New Hampshire, I'd love it if you uh, could come out uh, to an event and get involved in the campaign directly. We're having fun. Right. That's uh, something we're trying to make the campaign fun. Um, we're trying to make it something that people enjoy being a part of um, rather than it, it feeling like it's it's work. Because if we're building, you know, a movement, it's got to be something that people want to do and want to be a part of. And so, um, you know, there's regular events and so on and, and people can come out. Um, if you're outside New Hampshire, I'd say, like, look, if you liked those ads uh, and you want to see more ads like that, uh, you know, a donation goes a long way. I'm very good uh, with money. 
as a as a business professional. So I'm not going to waste your money. I'm not going to spend it frivolously. I promise you, I'm better with money than 99% of politicians are uh, with money. Um, and so I will be using that in a very effective way. I measure what I do. I and I'm not I'm not just gonna um, uh, you know burn that on on some you know ineffective ad buy or something like that. And um, so like. Um, I think it's a chance to make a real uh, difference. So uh, jeremy4nh.com slash donate. And quite frankly, if you like my campaign and you have not visited New Hampshire, that is the number one thing that I would encourage someone to do because like we really are uh, building a, a libertarian movement here that's unlike anything else in, in the uh, country. You know, I can't go to the supermarket without running into libertarians, you know, um, because there's more and more of us in New Hampshire than ever before. And we're achieving real victories. And so I think that there is um, I'm optimistic about the future of liberty um, really for the first time in my life. I was very pessimistic in my 20s living in Philadelphia. Uh, about the future of liberty, and I'm and I'm optimistic here uh, in my 30s in New Hampshire. Well, look, I mean, even if even if New Hampshire does a a slow, soft secession and and slowly becomes more and more free, that's a win, right? Yeah, 100. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, as a reminder, Jeremy4nh.com. You can also follow him at Jeremy Kaufman on Twitter. Uh, so go check him out. Um, Thanks for your time. Cheers. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Don't forget to head to unsafespace.com to uh, support this show and all the other shows here on Unsafe Space. You can unload your worthless fiat currency over there. We'll take it. Um, and thanks to those who already do support us. See you next time. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production does not meet WHO health and safety standards. Please report to a United Nations sanitization center immediately. Association with the following individuals is strictly prohibited. Experts who benefit from printing money agree that printing money does not cause price inflation. Trust me, just two more weeks to slow the spread of monkeypox. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. 
computer voice Curtis. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.